This is Rotary Radio. And welcome back to Warbird Radio. I'm Matt Jolly. Glad to be with you. And I'll tell you what, we've had a lot of great new episodes coming out. But this one, this one just might take the cake. Uh, you know, Bernie, if you don't know Bernie, he he just goes by Bernie. That's his, that is his name. It's like Oprah. It's like Reba. It's like Cher. It's, it's Bernie. Bernie, one of the biggest names in the Warbird business and has been for a number of years. One of the unsung heroes. But uh, Bernie, good morning from the uh, Weeks Hangar. Up there in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where you're looking at uh, this P-47 that has stolen the hearts of of literally millions of people around the world. Good morning. Glad you're here. Good morning, sir. How are you? Dan, I'm doing great. How did you stumble into this opportunity? Because uh, for the folks who don't know you, who haven't seen you, you know, wrenching on airplanes and jumping in and flying them, uh, sort of under the radar until really until the last few years, I mean, for the the world stage, uh, How'd you fall into this? Well, honestly, I rode my bicycle to Nutri Airport out in Northern California and had zero family that flew. I still don't have any family that flies but me. They all think I'm nuts. And when I was a kid, I just kept going to the airport. My mom used to take me out there. There was a little restaurant and a train, and um, there was a, a ramp that, people would taxi up and they'd get out and ride this little train over to the toy store and the restaurant. And it was a destination airport from, you know, I don't know when they exactly built it, but I'll say 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s. Then it closed down in 96 or so. And I just was fascinated by airplanes. Uh, Every chance I got, I'd ask my mom to take me out there and it wasn't to ride the train and it wasn't to go to the toy store. It was to go sit on the ramp on a picnic bench and watch airplanes take off and land and taxi up. And then I was about 11 years old and I rode my bike out there one day and it was probably eight miles from my house. And I found a path and I rode down this path. I was just a curious kid. And all of a sudden through the eucalyptus trees, there was a whole nother airport <laughs> that I had no idea it existed obviously never being at a small general aviation airport didn't realize that there was a place you had to get gas a maintenance facility hangars that were airplanes were kept in tie downs that airplanes parked in i only ever saw this one ramp and it just had constant traffic flowing through it so i wandered over there and just never left um i started helping a guy that had a banner towing operation and I was tying banners and helping him launch them and recover them. And I was about 12, 13 and another guy gave me a card and said, man, you know, there's a glider port on the other side of town, eight miles, the other direction. They're always looking for uh, help out there in the summertime running the wing and most people know gliders don't take off by themselves. They need to get pulled by something airplane, helicopter, or not helicopter, airplane or tow winch. <clears throat> so I turned around and rode out, you know, another eight miles the other direction and got a job with them and worked for them for two years. And they moved facilities, and it wasn't practical for me to ride my bike 45 miles north of that. <laughs> but you thought about it. I mean, don't lie. <laughs> I tried. Yeah. I tried to figure out how to do it. 
Um, oh, but boy. at the time I was riding my, I'd ride my bike out there in the morning and then I'd beg somebody after mm. working 10, 12 hours to drive me back home into town. And I didn't, I just didn't think that was going to work out. So, so at what point, at what point do you realize in this scenario? And I, and I, you know, because I love this story and I love, I love, I've heard this from you and I just, I absolutely, I hang on it. But at what point? At what point did that did that light go off in the back of your head that said, you know what, the guy who flies this thing is pretty important, but the guy who works on it, there's something well, there. Yeah, what happened is I walked in a hangar, and I was I was on my bike, and there was a guy there that's, hey, what are you doing? And his hang his big bifold door was shut, but the man door was open, and I said, hi, I'm Bernie Vasquez. He said, hey. Bernie Vasquez, like from the body shop downtown. I said, yeah, that's my dad. Oh man, I'm Steve Segetti. I know your dad. Well, he, Steve Segetti owned a local restaurant. It was a big restaurant in town. So my, he knew my dad, come on in, walked through his man door. And I looked right. And all I saw was his P 51 propeller and spinner. <laughs> there you go. I couldn't spell P 51 back then. I didn't know what it was. I hadn't had world history. I didn't know anything about world war II. I'm a naive 11 year old. I had no idea what this thing was. And I remember looking at it and he goes, Oh, you want to sit in it? And I sat in it and I remember looking at him. I'm like, man, if this is what airplanes are. I want to do this. I want to fly one of these things. This is the coolest thing I have ever seen in my life. Fast forward about 13 years later, well, probably about 15 years later, I soloed that Mustang for the first Warbird I ever soloed other than a T6 at the Reno International Air Races. So that was not only the first Mustang I ever saw, it was the thing that led me into a Warbird career. And in high school, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I think every young person that enjoys the fantasy of flight dreams of flying fighters. But I knew my personality was not going to work in a boot camp. I just knew the first time somebody started screaming and yelling and spitting in my face that it, it just wasn't going to click with me. And I was like, eh, I really don't want to do that. And I'll be real honest. I'm not a brainiac. I, I was not into school. All I wanted to do was go to the airport. <clears throat> I would ditch high school anytime a cool airplane flew over. I remember playing flag football in physical education one day. And the TWA Connie flew over and landed at the airport. I took my flags off. I walked home, got on my bike and rode to the airport and was there for three days because that airplane was there doing rides. And that was just the calling foundation would bring their airplanes in and I'd just drop everything and go. And my mom, bless her heart, would get angry, but she knew something was going on inside that little brain of mine. And she never really balked at it. As long as I got good grades, I could do what I wanted. You know, I tell these folks day in and day out who ask, they say, how do you get into this? How do, how do I become that guy? And I say, you show up. You just show up. And every time a young person asks me, how do you, how do I get to where you are? How do I, how do I get to do this? I said, you go to the airport, you never leave. And they look at me funny and they go, what? So you go to the airport and you never leave. 
And every time your phone rings and someone says, what are you doing tomorrow? I don't know, sir. What are we doing? Yeah. But you know, how, how many blank stares do you get? Well, I've, I've probably had two individuals go, Oh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of those young individuals is a kid named Ethan green and he's hanging out at Rod Lewis's and he went to the airport and he never left, you know, and he's probably the next generation, you know, and there's, there's a few young people that are looking at it, but it's kind of scary to me, 43 years old and I'm still the kid in this game. Yeah. Oh, I believe you know, there's, there's you know, no you're doing it right. And the, the, the part of your story that I think is so valuable here is that you, you not only fly them, but you work on them. I mean, you can, you can fix anything. And that is an invaluable skill in this business. And I'm, and I'm guessing that that just sort of happened naturally along the way. When you, if you find the Mustang, you find these old cool warbirds and, you know, the guy flying it, like I said, is pretty cool, but the guy, the guy working on it gets paid. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. the, the, the thing about it is, is the guy flying it can't fly it unless the guy fixing it fixes it. And it's a double edged sword. Yeah. You know, the, for even for me, it's a double edged sword. I could just show up with a helmet bag and get in and go fly it and break it and say, Hey, it's broken. That's one way to do it. For me, I get in it, I fly it, I break it. Then, I have to go fix it. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's a double-edged sword. It can make you tired at times because you're doing it all. You're not only flying it, but you're fixing it. But honestly, I don't know how somebody gets in anything. A J3 Cub to an F4 Phantom without understanding how it works. Well, especially They're, today. Yeah, especially today. Yeah. And the, the maintenance side for me is obviously I, I spoke of my father who had a body shop that must be something that runs in the blood. So I think the mechanical side of it for me, I was always that kid that got a toy and took it apart and tried to put it back together. Sometimes I succeeded. Sometimes I failed, but I still did it. So for me, it was always a curiosity of how things worked and the maintenance side of the stuff is, is, you know, that's my business. That's where I make money and provide for my wife and kids. And it, it's, that's also a double-edged sword. Cause I spend eight, 10 hours a day in the hangar. And then I go home and my three-year-old goes, dad, I want to go flying. And it's like, oh, Isn't it I want to go back down to the hangar and <laughs> yeah. open the hangar door and push a cub out yeah. and go fly. But I've got to embrace that while he wants to do it and, and promote it. And honestly, it helps me get, I can make up a million excuses on why not to go do something. I eat fly because I'm tired. I've been working on them all day, blah, 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 blah. Every time he looks at me and says, he wants to go flying. Okay. Yeah. That nine year old boy living inside of you though, gets on his bike exactly. and goes down there and is ready to go. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about your week real quick because I don't want to keep you. You you you've got to come back and be on the show again. You please do. But but let's talk about this, your this week. Is, this is my only day off. Yeah. At Oshkosh, <laughs> I'm literally sitting behind. I'm in the week's hanger in a chair, sitting behind Thunderbird, 
looking underneath the wing at the P-47 and then the other wing looking at the Corsair and going, how in the world did I ever get in this position? How have I been this blessed? Well, you kept showing up, and I think it's great. The, the, the airplanes that you flew there, you you started out flying some, uh, well, you flew all kind of stuff. Just give us the list of stuff that you flew to AirVenture this well, year. I started out with Lewis Energy's uh, FG-1D. I went down to San Antonio uh, at Wall Backup. I flew Scott Slocum's Baron to Breckenridge and dropped it off for some repairs. He picked me up and took me down to uh, San Antonio. I got in Lewis Energy's FG-1D, did a test hop in it, a couple of those, and then filled her up and flew to Oshkosh and dropped it off. And <clears throat> I was stopping for gas in Tulsa at another friend's place, the Sea Fury that I flew last year. I stopped to see uh, Don Chapel. And while I was sitting there, I texted a buddy from Rare Aircraft, Ben Redman, and said, hey, what are you doing today? And you know, I actually called him, and he denied my call. And he texted me in the air, <laughs> dropping the first airplane off at Oshkosh. And I said, I'll, I can be there in two and a half hours. Will you wait for me, and you can give me a ride back? He said, oh, that'll work out perfect. My wife's in the Bonanza. She'll, she'll take us back. So I land. I got here 10 minutes after they got done tying down their airplanes, securing their camp, securing their line of in vintage parking. We hopped in the Bonanza and we went back to Faribault, Minnesota. And while we were there, I said, Hey man, uh, you're taking like four airplanes there, right? He goes, yeah. I go, well, do you want to take two tomorrow? And he goes, man, I thought you'd never ask. And I go, Oh, you were already planning this. It was the second you said you were going to be there. I already went, Ooh, he can take one. I can take one. My wife can pick us up and then I only have to take one more and go there and stay. So that was Monday, Tuesday. We hopped in, I hopped in a, uh, Waco and he hopped in a Stinson and we trucked on over to Oshkosh, which for me was the first time I've ever flown an open cockpit biplane in Oshkosh. Granted the waiver wasn't going, it wasn't that busy. But it sure was cool to look down and see everything that I've never seen because I'm always going 200 and something miles an hour over this place. <laughs> Terrible problem so, to have, Bernie. I mean, just I feel so badly yeah. for you. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a rough life. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, though. So then his wife picked us up, and we did have a rough ride home. It, we were trying to get to Bemidji because I needed to fly. I needed to test fly the P-47. They'd done some work to it. They'd finished the paint plan was to go to Bemidji, but man, we just couldn't get there. There was thunderstorms every direction we went. We were bucking 40 to 16 mile an hour headwinds. We had to stop for gas. We decided, all right, we're going straight to Castleton, North Dakota, because that's where Thunderbird and uh, the P-47 both got painted at custom aircraft refinishing. So we said, ah, they're going to be putting the Thunderbird together. We'll just go there. So they dropped me off there. They beat Pete back home before a thunderstorm got to Faribault. <clears throat> Spent the next day putting Warren's airplane back together and finished putting the fillets and fairings and stuff on. And I mean, I don't know if you've come by this airplane yet, but one of the things we're hoping somebody writes an article and says, hey, did you catch a whiff of that blue Mustang? Yeah. Well, it's already, it's so already been done. <laughs> It has it. Yeah, Steve Bridgewater came on and I was talking about it. He said, if you're downwind, 
you can literally smell it curing. He said it's it was so wet. <laughs> we started to put fairings on when I got there, and we all looked at each other and said, uh, I think we probably ought to go to the hotel. And there's a whole nother story. This is just this is how things work. Hmm. We're in Castleton, North Dakota. What in the world? Fargo's five miles away, ten miles away, whatever it is. We start calling hotels. You can't get a hotel in this town. There is no hotels. There's some wrestling tournament going on. Yeah. It's like, so, what are we going to do? We're going to sleep on the floor? Going to drive well, over? Casey, to, yeah. Kent's got a motorhome somewhere. You know, you're going to drive over there and find <laughs> somewhere to sleep. <laughs> so. Casey Odegaard calls and says, hey, my camper's in the hangar. <laughs> and Warren loved sleeping on couches and FBOs. So he yeah. slept on the couch. I slept in the camper. It was great. So we got up the next day, finished Warren's airplane. I took off out of there. He took off in his Mooney Mustang. Took off out of there, went to Bemidji. We flew the rest of the time off of it. Hopped in the P-47, did a couple test flights on it, fixed a couple things. And then uh, I brought the P-47 over on Saturday. And Warren picked me up. And same thing. We were going to bring Thunderbird over Saturday. And just storms popped up everywhere, and we just looked at each other and went, why are we going to fight that hard to get there and then worry about it being outside? So we got up Sunday morning, waited for the fog to lift. The air crew, the Air Corps guys got in their Bonanza. We got in the Mustang and beat feet over here, and I guess the rest is history. The rest now is history. Now I just got to figure out. I got to figure out how to get them all back home. Well, you and <laughs> you and Ben will work that out. I have no doubt. But uh, man, what oh, no, a great no, no. story! Ben, ben, Ben's on his own. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm already. I, I checked that box. <laughs> the good deal fairy is gone. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Oh man, Bertie, what a week. Well, listen. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us this morning. I mean, seriously. Oh, anytime. Golly, what a story and and what a life. We're gonna be sitting back. We're gonna be watching, and and waiting to see all that hardware. Somebody asked me. They said, "Why would?" Why would Rod Lewis bring a Connie all the way from Texas to Oshkosh? He said to carry home all the trophies. You Not know? only carry home the trophies, but he brought it all the way from California. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you got to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What a guy. Hey, and, they needed, uh, they needed to break in the engines. And what's better to what better way to do that than put seven hours on them? That's right. And I'm hoping that we're going to have an update from the Hintons uh, when everything settles down. You know, they've been working a little bit, a little bit of overtime out there. Trying to finish all a that stuff, bit. just a little bit. Trying to finish all that stuff up. So, uh, the Oshkosh thrash. Now the next thing they get to do is the Reno thrash. Oh gosh, yeah one one last time at Reno. So we'll see where it. Uh, we'll see how everything shakes out with that. But listen, Bernie, come back on. Please be a regular. We'd love to have you on. Right. Call me anytime. All right, Bernie. Great to hear your voice. We'll be right back with more Warbird Radio right after this. This is Warbird Radio. Reminding you that radio engines don't leak oil. They just mark their territory. This is Warbird Radio. Tune in. And welcome back here to Warbird Radio. Matt Jolly hanging out here with you. We were talking to Bernie about, uh, well, about his journey into Warbirds. And uh, this story just is not complete uh, without talking to Warren Peach, uh, the owner of Thunderbird. Uh, but who has a very similar story to Bernie about showing up? And uh, Warren, you're joining me from the uh, the luxurious accommodations of the back of a cargo trailer there uh, at that big fly-in. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm in the shade and a little bit out of the noise of Oshkosh, so this oh is gosh. the time to get her done. Yep. Well, 
Listen, you and your brothers know well, I mean, the power of showing up. And and I have, man, I don't know how many times I've told young folks, they say, well, you know, how do you get into this? How do, how do you become one of these guys? And the story that I hear countless times is just like what Bernie was talking about. You, you just show up and they don't believe me. You know, and so yeah. many of them wind up leaving. But I know you and Kent and your, your brothers, I mean, you, you had very similar upbringings around an airport. We did, and uh, I guess maybe the difference between Bernie and I is that I grew up in an aviation family, and uh, I was the youngest of three brothers. Uh, my uh, my next older brother was seven years older than me, and I think I think uh, when I was twelve, just coming out of sixth grade, my dad took me out to the airport and made me start working. Well, I shouldn't say he made me. I, I got to start working, and it involved marking fields for spraying, and it involved washing airplanes, and answering the telephone, and interacting with people, and and obviously, the, the aviation education and the dreams started about that time. Uh, actually, in, uh, to, to back up a couple of years, in 1968, Dad had a Starduster II that he'd built, and we went to the EAA convention in Rockford, Illinois at the time, and uh, and I saw Mustangs for the first time. And I, I went home and painted a wall of my bedroom blue, and I rented an opaque projector or borrowed one, I guess would be a better way to put it. Projected a ten foot Mustang in a wall and and painted it silver and yellow tail and stuff and I started dreaming and uh, and at the same time I was learning to learning about airplanes and learning to fly and and uh, spending all my time at the airport. I mean it was uh, and it wasn't because I was forced to as much as it was because it was just the place to be for me. And I I I tell people when they come in they go what's it take to to do what you've done. And I say, well, you you aren't going to go to the lake and you aren't going to be home on weekends. You're going to just spend every day at the airport. And that's the way it's going to be. If you want to live an aviation life, then you got to get busy living an aviation life. And, uh, there's been a few people that have, that have accepted that advice, I guess. And, uh, and have gone on to success. Amen to that. Let's talk about Thunderbird here. Your latest, uh, restoration, I mean, it's just an incredible, yeah. incredible airplane. Well, it, yeah. I mean, I've owned a few airplanes, and I've restored a few airplanes, but nothing to this magnitude. Obviously, uh, with the Texas Flying Legends and the Dakota Territory Air Museum, uh, I was honored to campaign those airplanes and manage them for the owners, and we still do. The Dakota Territory Air Museum currently manages Bruce Ames' collection, and uh, there's uh, – you know, to the Air Museum's point, there's about 60 airplanes on display there in Minot, North Dakota, and it's a beautiful museum. And we have one wing totally dedicated to World War II aircraft, and those are, the, are Bruce's airplanes that I manage and fly. And and uh, we've got five Mustangs and a Hurricane, a Spitfire, and a P-40, and a Wildcat, and a DC-3, and a Harvard, and a L-5, and an L-6. And a, there's a there's just a lot of airplanes in there, you know, that, that people can sure stop and look at. So now it's my turn to have an airplane, and I found, found this project. Uh, Jerry Beck and I were working together to find paperwork for A model projects that he was working on, and and we were ferrying a couple of airplanes to the Cleveland Air Show, of course, here in a TBM, and we stopped in Oshkosh and talked to Gene Chase, and he told us about an airplane that had gone down north of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, in 55 that he was working for the guy, and he thought it was an A model, and so I went looking and found out that it wasn't a C model, and or it wasn't an A model, but in fact a C model, and and then uh, got some pieces and 
started doing some background research on it and found out it was actually Thunderbird. Jimmy Stewart's airplane that Jody Boner raced and Jacqueline Cochran set records in. And, uh, and so I got pretty excited about that and started, started that project in 99 and, uh, collecting history and pieces and, and finding a little time here and there to, to dream and work and, um, to have it here at Oshkosh to debut down at Vintage as a vintage racer and then move it down to Warbirds to be in the, the Warbirds in review in the Warbirds Square. Pretty exciting stuff for me. Uh, I, I joke, we were painting it, and it just came out of the paint shop last week, but I, I was joking with somebody about it, and I said, you know, I was pulling the paper off, and I stood there for a second on the ladder while I was pulling the paper off of the propeller, and I went, Hey, I'm not. I'm not working on somebody else's airplane. This is mine. This is yours, <laughs> and it still smells <laughs> like fresh paint, from what I've been told by a number of people. Well, if they uh, write an article here at, at yeah. Osh, if they write one about this airplane, I, I hope they entitle it. Did you get a whiff of the blue Mustang? Yeah, right. This thing can cast and thinner off all week long out here. So. Well, Steve Bridgewater, who came on. Uh, in a previous episode we, we released this week, said the exact same thing. He said, if you stood downwind, he said, you could still smell it. He said it was just yeah. just incredible. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. that is so yeah. wonderful. Yeah, Roy Kiefer from Castleton, North Dakota, custom aircraft finishes, did the paint, and it's fantastic paint. And uh, and he did the paint on the P-47 also and just did a beautiful job on both. And obviously Air Corps Aviation has had the airplane for three years now, and they – they did a wonderful job of completion, and Tri-State Aviation provided a lot of the fuselage and tail structure, and uh, and and that was actually a Jerry Beck project that Jerry had started on in 2004, and had got gotten pushed in the back of the warehouse and and bought that, and uh, Odegaard Wings built the wing, and so it's wow. it's it's a community airplane. There it's everybody's go. airplane. It's not just mine. It tells three yeah. great. It tells stories about three great American veterans and and the records and uh, aviation that they were involved in after the war. And I just uh, I'm proud to tell those stories and and stand next to the airplane. I'm just proud to know you and your brother and uh, the, the whole Peach family. What a great group yeah. and and Bernie too. I I've got to just ask as we wrap things up here, uh, because knowing you, you have a plan. What what's your plan and your dream for the airplane? For this airplane or yeah, for, for, th- for Thunderbird? No, for Thunderbird. Yeah. Well, it's going to go back home and be in the museum, probably go to Reno, and uh, and I'm sure we'll be out campaigning it next summer. Um, you know, right now the plan is to let the paint dry. How's that? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> on, <laughs> on both of us, me and the airplane. There you go. There you go. Well, congratulations yeah. on a huge success. And, uh, man, I'm just looking forward to seeing you at a show here real soon, Warren. Thanks again. Yeah, yeah thanks, Matt. Great All right. talking to you. Well, there you go. Bernie V. and Warren Peach. I'm telling you, two of the greatest guys in the Warbird business. Keep showing up. It, I'm telling you, just show up. It, it, Your life will change. And I love what Warren said about if you want to live an aviation life, then get busy living an aviation life. If you're crazy about this stuff and you're listening to this podcast, I'm telling you, just start showing up. It gets harder when you get older, I'm not going to lie, but just keep showing up. Good things will come. We have a lot of new episodes in the pipeline. Like, I'm telling you, they're, they're coming in quicker than we can keep up. So keep liking and following and subscribing 
uh, to the podcast feed and uh, to the blog. That's a, that's really, really important. I don't think we're going to do a newsletter, but we're going to do the blog post. And when a new episode comes out, I'll just email it to you. It'll come right to your inbox. So be sure to uh, subscribe to the blog there on warbirdradio.com. Just put your email address in. I don't know if it's a blog or newsletter, whatever it is. Still getting a handle on it. So go on there, put your email address in, and we'll send everything to you. Not spam. It's not cluttered with ads. It's just great content. You know that, though, or you wouldn't be here. We'll keep cranking it out. My thanks again to Bernie and to Warren Peach for spending a few minutes with us on an otherwise extremely busy week. And, of course, to you for listening. So long for now, everybody. This is Bernie.